It's a real privilege for me to open up God's Word today, and I'm grateful to uh, Pastor Bill and Pastor Carl and the elders for this opportunity. It's definitely one that every seminary student looks forward to with some trepidation, as you know, Dr. Zuber's in the audience. Um, but at least I can say it's Dr. Zuber and not Dr. Zuber, Dr. Hargrove, Dr. Shannon, <laughs> Dr. All of them. Uh, so, uh, yeah, let's see what my grade's like at the end of this one. Um, but, yeah, it's a great, wonderful opportunity. My name's Stephen, for those of you who don't know me. As you can probably make out from the accent, I'm not from here. My American is not that good, but I'm going to try at least. And uh, we're from South Africa, been here for four years, and it's just an incredible kindness of the Lord that I finish on Thursday with my last class in seminary, and to be preaching this morning is, is just an incredible blessing. So with that said, please turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 23. And we're literally just going to go through it verse by verse. We're going to unpack it and see what God says to us through this very, very familiar and favorite psalm of both believers and unbelievers. Psalm 23. It's a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word to us this morning. And we ask that you would now bless the reading of it and the time that we have studying it together. And may you open our hearts by your Spirit to receive what you have for us today. We pray this in Christ's precious name. Amen. In the highlands of Scotland, sheep farming is a very common practice, and sheep will wander far and wide in these very undulating and sometimes unforgiving landscapes of Scotland. And every now and then, one of these sheep would wander off, and he'll go and he'll climb down some of these rocky crags, and, and he'll find a ledge where there's some very sweet grass that they really love. And once he's on that ledge, he will literally eat there until either the grass is finished or he's full. And invariably, he turns around and he finds that he cannot get back up to where he came from, and he'll start bleating out of sheer distress. And the shepherds, funny enough, will often just leave them exactly where they are until they are so weak that they cannot stand. And then the shepherd will climb down to where the sheep is and he'll tie a rope around it and he'll put it on his back or he'll pull it back out to safety. And someone asked, 
once asked one of these shepherds, why do you do that? Why don't you just go down there and get them when they first, you hear them bleating? And the shepherd said, no, these animals are so foolish that if you did that, they would just run straight off the cliff and kill themselves. Now, friends, the sheep truly are very, very stupid animals. They, they are not survivors. They are not strong and independent creatures. They, they are not hunters. They're not proud. They're not predators. Sheep are actually quite pathetic creatures. Um, they're utterly defenseless, and uh, they're entirely dependent on their shepherd. Uh, if you think about it, how do most animals react when faced with danger? They either fight back, or they flee, or they, uh, uh, they put up a, a, a posture like a dog that gnaws its teeth and growls. Now, when you think of sheep, you think to yourself, have you ever seen a sheep fight off a lion? And how about running? Have you ever seen them run? They're more like marshmallows with legs on them. <laughs> And then uh, when it comes to posture, the best they can do for a growl is the silly little bleating sound that we all know so well. So they really are, are not very, very good animals in that way. And what do they do when faced with danger? Because invariably it comes, a lion will come. What do they do? Well, they, they tend to flock together. And uh, they tend to run around in crazy circles uh, with a sheer hope that when the lion comes, he takes his buddy next to him and not himself. <laughs> you know, and, and, and that's what they do. That's the only way that they can perhaps survive. But the truth is that without a shepherd, sheep won't survive. They won't last. They have no hope. And as we think about that, here's the funny thing. The Bible calls us sheep. And... Uh, when you think about it at first, it, it almost seems offensive. You almost want to get angry about that statement. But before you do, think about it just for a little minute. If you think about where the world is right now, people run around in circles like crazy. They panic. They worry. They constantly bent almost in, on, in, on self-destruction because of sin. And when calamity comes, what is the natural instinct of most is to hope that it hits the next person and not you, right? That's mankind. You can carry on and on. But friends, the truth remains the same. Without a shepherd, mankind is lost. Mankind has no hope. Mankind cannot survive. And that's why as we look at this beautiful psalm, Psalm 23, uh, and we look at the Old Testament, it is just so fitting that God is called the shepherd of his pasture. It's so fitting that in the New Testament, Jesus refers to himself as the good shepherd. And it's fitting that we are called his sheep. So as we look at Psalm 23, we will see God, Yahweh, portrayed as, as two different characters. Two different characters that provide, two different characters that protect that lead and guide and lavish love upon his sheep. Two characters, as we study them, that will move us and motivate us to worship him, not even now in our lives, but for all eternity.
And these two characters are Yahweh as the good shepherd and then Yahweh as the gracious host. So let's look at the text and we're literally going to go verse by verse through it and unpack it. Starts off with the Psalm of David. And this statement is actually part of verse 1 in the inspired Hebrew text. And it tells us that this is a song written by David to Yahweh. And we know that it's probably written about the time when he was fleeing from his son Absalom and he was uh, hiding in a cave, most probably. A dire, dire situation, not a good place for him to be in. But he writes this song and immediately the very first line tells us that this is a declaration of praise to his God. Because he boldly declares and he says, the Lord is my shepherd. Yahweh is my shepherd. But the text here is fascinating because it says more than just who God is. But it also says what God does. Yes, David says he's my shepherd. But the Hebrew verb here is, has an interesting nuance in that it it gives us a sense of a continuing and an ongoing action, something that keeps going. In other words, what he's saying, not just he is my shepherd, but he's also saying he is shepherding me. And because of this ongoing shepherding by the shepherd, David says and declares with such confidence, he says, I shall not want. And then he shows us throughout the psalm just repeatedly how Yahweh blesses him in four main ways. He provides for him on an ongoing, consistent basis. He protects him. He leads and guides him. And he pours out lavish love upon him. And by implication, being in the word of God for us, this is true for us as well. We know that. Now, in the ancient Near Eastern context, the word shepherd or shepherding was used in the context of a shepherd tending and caring for his sheep. But it was also used as a royal metaphor for a king who took care of his people, the people of his land. And so to portray Yahweh here as a shepherd is to portray him as a royal figure, as a king that we know he is. But the idea especially is that whether it be looking after sheep or whether it is uh, a king looking after his people, the, 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 they only qualify for that title because they're actually able to do the job. A shepherd who couldn't shepherd wasn't a shepherd, right? And we, will, we know as we look at this text and we will see that Yahweh is more than capable of taking care of his sheep. He's more than capable to provide and protect and lead and love. Credible blessings from the good shepherd to us all. So look with me. David says, I shall not want. The first blessing of Yahweh as shepherd is that he provides constantly. He provides consistently, and he provides without fail. 
And again, as you look at the Hebrew text, there's this beautiful nuance here that gives us added emphasis to the extent that it actually says, I shall never want. It it says to us, I shall never even begin to lack anything. David's declaring that he's so blessed by Yahweh that he will never begin to lack anything in his life. So what does this provision look like? Look look with me at verse 2. It says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. Now we know that all living beings, all animals and, and people, they need food and water to live, right? And that's exactly what Yahweh does here. He provides for his sheep by nourishing them with both food and water, with grass and with water. But the text tells us that this isn't just any grass. This is the good stuff. This is green, lush, rich grass. Sweet that the sheep love. Yahweh is not going to take his, his sheep to some barren ironwood place in the desert. <laughs> he's going he's to take them to a place that has beautiful, thick, rich, dark green, lush, nutritious grass. And so what David's saying to us is interesting because if you know the position that he finds himself in, what he's saying is not consistent with where he finds himself. He's sitting in the barren wilderness of Ironwood, Palestine. Okay. He's in Palestine in the desert. Now, those of you who've traveled there, maybe some of you have been to Ironwood last, last year, or some of you have traveled through the desert. It isn't green. It's brown. It's hot. It's dusty. It's dry. There's not much greenery around, and this is typically what Palestine was like. But the fact is, David has already established for us, even in the first verse, that Yahweh's shepherding is continuous. It's ongoing. It doesn't stop. And so when he's saying that Yahweh is providing him with a consistent supply of green grass and quiet water... He's saying this is a consistent supply. He's not making it up. He's not wishing for it. But this is not what Palestine is like. I mean, they have some light rains in the springtime. And as soon as there's this light rain, some some greenery will come up. But the heat of the desert and the sun very quickly kills that off and returns to its brown. What David is pointing to here by what he's saying is that even in this dry and barren desert that he finds himself in, God is able to provide for him, and he does. He takes care of him, even in the midst of lack. Even in need, there is a constant supply of God's providence and his provision and his care. And friends, this is true for us even today. Does this mean as the prosperity preachers say that, you know, if, if, if you follow Christ, you will have abundance and you will always have prosperity. I don't believe so. But what it does mean is that even in a situation in your life where there's need or where there's lack or, or where there's a shortage, whatever that may be, 
God's providence will sustain you. He will sustain you to the extent that you will never lack, that you'll never even begin to need. Even in that place of need, you will be fully satisfied and you will be content. The picture gets even better. Verse 2 continues. David says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever tried to make a sheep lie down? Anybody here? No? Have you ever wondered what makes them lie down? I, I mean, I know there are those goats. I'm sure you've all seen that, that when you give them a fright, they stiffen up their legs like this and they fall over and they lie down. But I don't think that's the picture that David has here when he says this. They are... Very skittish animals. They are very fearful animals. And friends, a sheep, sheep will not lie down. They will not rest. They will not sleep if there's any sense of danger. If they're afraid, they will not rest. And this is why the shepherd will take those sheep and he'll put them in a fold at night, in a sheep pen, where they're safe from predators. And they know that, and because they know that, They are comfortable to lie down and rest. And the idea here, when when David says, he makes me lie down in green pastures, is the same. David feels safe. He feels protected. He feels cared for. And because of that, even in the midst of his circumstances, he can rest comfortably. The same is true again, once again, for us. Even in the midst of all the potential dangers in this world, all the things that we face every single day, the trials, the tribulations, the things that come against us, we can rest assured and we can rest comfortably because we know our shepherd protects us. Another interesting thing as you look at that, the combination of the green grass and the waters, there's this idea of quiet waters, quiet waters, like pools of water slowly flowing. And the reality is that is again, once again, it's not the picture of Palestine. He keeps painting this picture that is not true of where he's at. In certain times of the year, you'll have this hot and moist air that comes off the Mediterranean, blows across the coastal plain of Israel, it blows up the mountains, and when it gets to the top, it's cooled down sufficiently and buckets down on the high-lying areas, typically where David was. And as it does that, these torrential waters run down these, these mountain slopes, and they cut these deep valleys called wadis. Now keep that in mind because these come into play later on again in the psalm. So just hang on to that thought. But the truth is, when you consider this desert environment that, that he's in, quiet waters are not synonymous with Palestine. You generally have these torrents of water that come down, flash floods that wash away livestock and sometimes even people. And even if there are some pools that develop, those pools will soon just evaporate in the heat of the desert sun. So again, this is not an image of consistency. But David is affirming once again by saying this, that his shepherd is consistently providing for him, even 
in the midst of lack. For us, the same is true, and I'm going to repeat that over and over again. In Yahweh's providence, we will also always find blessing in his provision, his protection, his care, even in the absence of it. So we've seen from just these few verses that Yahweh provides for us materially, physically. But we know from what's coming that he also provides and, and protects us spiritually. Look at verse 3. It says, He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now the word restore that he uses here in Hebrew means to return or, or, or to repent. But in the reference to the word soul, it actually has the idea of a revitalization, of a refreshing that happens and bringing new life to the soul of the person. And as I, I thought of that, I thought, man, that sounds familiar. And then I thought of John 10.10. 10. And we see Jesus, having just referred to himself as the good shepherd, he says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. What a beautiful passage. What a beautiful statement. Here in Psalm 23, David says, He restores my soul. Just pointing to exactly the same thing. And then he goes on and he says, He guides me in the path of righteousness. Now, we've all read this, this psalm so many times. We read that statement, He guides me in the paths of righteousness. And it seems like such a straightforward Statement, but there's so much in it. Notice, first of all, that he says, He guides me. Now, friends, if you consider sheep, sheep generally wander far and wide, and as they do so, the shepherd will tag along and he'll just be on the lookout for any predators and um, any danger that might confront them. And sometimes when they he has to get them back to the fold. Generally, they'd have a dog. You've all seen the videos of the collie dogs. And they would start herding the sheep together. And they would start driving the sheep onto a path to get to the fold or to the pen for the night. But it's not the idea of the shepherd driving the sheep that we have here. It says, he guides me. He guides me. We have the idea here of a shepherd that is leading his sheep, and this, th these sheep are following him because they hear his voice. They, he's calling them, and they're coming because they know his voice, and they trust his voice, right? John 10 again, speaking of the true shepherd, it says in verse 3, And the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Beautiful. And verse 4, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. And here in Psalm 23, Yahweh leads David and David follows. Wonderful. So the question immediately comes up, well, where to? Where is he following him to? And the text implies for us as we read it that the destination is righteousness. But I want you to point you to the fact that the emphasis right here in this verse is on the word paths, on the word paths. Now, many of you, I'm sure, have been hiking before, and it's great fun, and it's wonderful, and you're going along very happy as long as you're on the right path. 
when that part suddenly disappears and you realize that you are lost, it's not so comfortable anymore, right? It's a scary place to be. Paths, friends, are comforting. Paths give you uh, security. As long as you're on that path, you're happy. That You know where it's going. You know that if you're on it, you're going to get there safely. And so David says he's on this path. So the question still remains, where is there for David? Now it mentions to us that it's righteousness. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. So why not a place? Why righteousness? And we'll see the answer to this later on as we get to verse 6. But for now, I want you to consider this. The God that we know, Yahweh, has many attributes. And I can go on and on and on and list these for you. He's holy. He's almighty. He's omnipresent. He's omnipotent. On and on and on. Just so many that describe Yahweh. But in the context of this psalm, he chose the attribute of righteousness to describe Yahweh. And so there's two ways to look at this, because if you're on a path of righteousness, it means that you're on a path to become righteous. And again, there's this very familiar ring to it. Not so. As we look at 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says he, that's Yahweh, made him, referring to Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become what? The righteousness of God in him. And so here in Psalm 23, when we see that, we see something of the future aspect of this psalm. And we'll deal with more of that later. But for now, what we're looking at right here is that as his sheep, now who are the sheep of his flock. The sheep are those who are born again, those who, who know him, who know his voice, who follow him, those who belong to him. And as his sheep, as we follow him, and as we follow in line with who he is, righteous, we will become more and more and more like him, right? And that's what we know is the process of sanctification. And the paths that we have are well laid out for us in the pages of Scripture. And as long as we stay on those, we will reach the destination of becoming more and more like Him. But there's more to it, and we'll get to that in a minute. So the question is, why does Yahweh do this? Why does He shepherd the way He does? Why does He do what He does for His sheep? And the answer David gives us in the last phrase of this verse in Verse 3, it says, for his name's sake. Incredible statement. Yahweh provides materially for us, and he is the one that is glorified. When Yahweh provides spiritually for us, he is the one who is glorified. When he protects us physically, he is the one that is glorified. When he restores us spiritually, he is the one that is glorified. He does not do what he does for you and me and for his sheep. He does what he does for his glory. Now this, this principle is, is something that's very difficult for us to understand. It's unnatural to us as selfish human beings to understand this. 
The idea that undeserving sheep can receive all the benefits of the shepherding of a holy God, even though he does it for his own name's sake. We can't understand that. But the truth is, friends, when we feel safe, when we feel secure, when we are provided for, when we are comforted, when we are rested and we are well, and, and you can just keep on and on and on and on, when we are completely satisfied in all our circumstances, even in the, in the circumstance of lack and need and danger, God is the one who is glorified. Verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now I want you to notice the shift here. Because in verses 1 to 3, David is speaking about Yahweh, about who he is, about what he does. And then we get here to verse 4, and he is speaking directly to Yahweh. So there's a major shift that happens here. And he says, I fear no evil, for you are with me. So what's going on here? Well, in contrast to the green grass and the quiet waters, the imagery here of God's provision and protection is explained through a scenario that is expressed and, and represented by grave danger. Think back to what I said earlier about those wadis, those deep valleys. They are cut by these torrential rains that fall and this water rushes down. And some of them are very deep, some of them are very wide, and they can get quite dark and scary and, and were known to be places of peril. Predators would hide in those valleys. Robbers would hide in those valleys. And there was all kinds of peril in these valleys. Now, in those days when the shepherds would typically be uh, shepherding, uh, leading their, their sheep, and it would get late, and they would have to get them down onto the coastal plains where they would be safe and for the night. So they'd sometimes have to take these shortcuts and go down these valleys, and that was a, a dangerous place to be. The Hebrew word that David uses here conveys the idea of a valley that is explained as a place of deep darkness, impenetrable gloom. In fact, it is a, a compound word that's made up of the Hebrew words for shadow and death. And that's why the early translators settled on the idea of the valley of the shadow of the death. But the idea is simple. This is a scary place. This is a dangerous place. But note what David says. He says, even though I walk. Now, once again, the nuance of the Hebrew here is very interesting because it gives us the idea of even when I walk, even when I walk. In other words, he's not talking here about the possibility of maybe going through this dark valley. He's talking about a certainty that at some stage he's going to be in this dark valley. There are definitely going to be times where the sheep are going to end up in these deep, dark, uh, treacherous terrains. And when that happens, David simply says, I will not fear. 
I will not fear. Now, if you look at this, here's another interesting thing. He says, I walk, even though I walk. Now, there's an important distinction to make here because some commentators hold that David was implying some kind of disobedience, that he was in sin, and because of the sin, he's ended up in this deep and dark and dangerous place. And then there are others who are saying that Yahweh led David into this deep, dark place. Yahweh led him to sin and end up in this deep, dark place. And these debates have been carrying on for centuries, and they continue even today. But neither of them in the context of Psalm 23 makes sense. Because as we've seen now, as we've looked through it from verse 1 all the way through to where we are now, the overriding message for us has been from the beginning that Yahweh consistently and constantly provides and protects, right? And because of that, David says he will never even begin to lack anything. No material provision, no spiritual protection, he will not lack. So we've got to ask ourselves the question when we get to this verse, why then would Yahweh deviate from that? If, if this bold declaration is that is who he is and what he does, why would he deviate? And on top of that, as David has shown us, that as Yahweh leads, he follows, right? He's told us that. And he follows along a path of righteousness. So it doesn't make sense when the commentators say that this is David who's gone off on a tangent of sin and ended up in this dark place. I believe what David is saying to us here is that even when I'm walking along that path, following my God in righteousness, even while following my shepherd, the road sometimes goes through dark and scary places in life. It goes through a valley of pitch black darkness. Has anybody here ever experienced pitch black darkness? There's a, a castle in Cape Town called the Castle of Good Hope back in South Africa. It was built in 1666, a stone fortress that was built to protect the Dutch settlers from the British uh, attackers. And in the thick stone walls of this castle, down at the bottom there, are these dungeons where they would keep the worst of their prisoners. And I was there as a kid, and we went on tour into this place, and... Uh, as we walked into this dungeon, they closed the doors behind us, and they'd warned us to look out for this. But as the doors closed, they said, try and see your hand. And I put my hand in front of my face, and I waited for my eyes to adjust to the darkness, but there was zero light. My eyes could not even adjust, and it was pitch black. And it was claustrophobic, and a lot of the people who were in there panicked, and they started crying out and saying, open the doors, open the doors. This is terrifying. And this is the kind of idea that's being conveyed as we look at this Psalm 23. Even though I walk through a valley in life that's dark, very, very dark, I will not fear. And the same nuance that we had in verse 1 in the Hebrew says that I will never fear. Even though I'm walking through this valley, I will never even begin to fear. And immediately the question is asked, why not? 
And David answers that and he says, for you are with me. How beautiful is that? For David, the presence of Yahweh leading him even through dark and terrible places means that he cannot even begin to fear. He cannot even in any form or manner begin to have fear. Because you are with me. And then immediately he gives us a qualifier. And he says, because your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now in Bible times, a rod and a staff were symbols of leadership for, for royal figures, for kings. They would have a rod and a staff. So it's very fitting to use those symbols in the context of Yahweh. But when we look at a shepherd, these two items were very significant. A rod was typically a long, heavy, elongated piece of wood that they would use as a weapon. And when predators came, they would fight them off with this. It's like a, I guess it was like a baseball bat. Okay. And then the, the rod itself, or his staff, was this long, thin kind of stick that was carved in a way that it had a hook on the top. You've all seen that. And it would be used by them to walk like a walking stick. But essentially it was used when the sheep became unruly. When they started running away in crazy directions because they don't know what they're doing, uh, the, the shepherd would run after them to protect them. He'd hook it around their neck and he'd pull them back and put them back on the path that they're to be on. And sometimes when, when he was walking with the, she- with the sheep, he would hit them and tap them to keep them on the right path. We've already established that that path is a comforting place to be, right? So David's saying, your rod, which you use for my protection, and your staff, which you use for my correction and my comfort, they're with me. (laughs) Friends, in David's mind, these things are representative of who God is. And because of that, he says, I will never fear. I will never even begin to fear because if they are present in my life, I know that Yahweh is with me. My Lord is with me. And I have no fear. So our good shepherd is with us to lead us, to guide us, to provide for us, to protect us, even in the midst of lack, even in the midst of peril and danger, even in the midst of a dark, dark place that you may find yourself in, in life. He is there. The second character that David presents us with as God or Yahweh is that of the good and the gracious host. Look at verse 5 with me. It says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You've anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Now, to prepare a table means to lay out food and and water and, and cutlery and stuff on a table for a meal. And in those days, it was invariably a, a low table or a mat. But the food and the table is not of issue here. What is at issue is who this table was set for. Now, keep in mind that in Bible times, uh, 
Mealtimes were very communal things. These were the times where people got together to fellowship. They got together to create bonds between people. It was a very significant time. But here David says, you lay a table for me. So who are the only people at this table? It's Yahweh and David. And what's worse is he says, he says, you've said it in the face of my enemies. He said this right in front of David's enemies. Now this seems like quite a strange thing to do. Here are David's enemies, and the idea of the text is that they are so close that they can actually see what David is eating. Here they are. They, they want to kill David. They want to take him out. And Yahweh says to him, sit down, relax. I have prepared a meal for you. Now, I don't know about you, but I find that hard. Because the natural response to danger is to do what? To run, right? I mean, we've all, we've all watched those spy movies, right? Where the spy is in a room somewhere and he's filing through these papers and he pulls out this document and then he looks for his spy camera and he starts taking these photos. And all the while, this killer is walking to the door and he's reaching out for the handle. And he's going to open it. And you know that if he finds that spy in there, who's your hero, he's going to kill him. And inside, you are, you are shouting and saying, get out of there. Just get out. Run. Why do we feel like that? Because the natural response of the human in the face of danger is to flee. So what's going on here with this meal? Well, in the days of David, when you hosted someone for a meal, when you hosted people over, you essentially took responsibility for their safety. You're not just... You didn't just feed them, you took on an obligation to protect them, to take care of them. And that's exactly what David is saying here. As God sits him down on this mat of this table, he says, You eat regardless of your enemies because I will protect you. He's the perfect host. And knowing Yahweh, knowing, as he's repeatedly said through here, of his constant and his ongoing and his consistent faithfulness, David's very happy to do that, and he sits down happily, even in the face of his enemies, to eat this meal. He is at peace, and I love this picture. This world, friends, is our enemy. It seeks to destroy us. 1 Peter 5, 8 says, Your adversary... The devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And just like David in the presence of his enemies, 1 Peter 5, 7 says that you can cast all your anxiety on him. It's Yahweh. Because he cares for you. Beautiful. David goes on, he says, you've anointed my head with oil. And we know that the, the word for anointed there is a verb that has to do with fat dripping, which seems crazy. But you know what it's like? You've been on a hike, it's hot and it's dusty. You, the poor guys at Ironwood are, are, are getting very hot. And uh, for them, there aren't even streams of water. But typically, if you're hiking, you can find a stream of cold water. You take some, you put it on your face, and you immediately feel better. 
And that's the same idea. In those days, when people would come to your home for a meal, you would give them this fragrant oil. It's probably like a skin lotion or something which they would put on their face and they would feel better. But here's this idea of this fat dripping. There's a sense of abundance. There's this idea of a festivity that brings joy to the whole person. And David here, by explaining and describing this scenario of anointing his head with oil, he's saying that the source of his joy is Yahweh. Yahweh welcomes him. Yahweh seats him down. He protects him and he comforts him and he provides for him refreshment. And so he says, my cup overflows. Beautiful picture. In Zimbabwe, we have the the Victoria Falls. They are the largest falls in the world. 5,604 feet wide and 354 feet high. Double the width and the height of the Niagara Falls. It's a spectacle to see. It's on the incredibly mighty Zambezi River. And it's so powerful that you cannot even see the base of these falls. It falls down into a gorge. And as you stand on the opposite side, there's rain that actually comes from the bottom up. It's inverted rain. The spray from these falls can be seen 30 miles away as it rises as high as 1,300 feet above the falls. It's powerful. Friends, that's the idea that this text gives us, this overflowing. There's this abundance. There's this incredible power. This is the language in verse 5. It's not just about being full. It's not just about pouring a cup of coffee and some of it runs over. No, it has to do with a mighty, mighty abundance of God himself. And then he says, the cup My cup overflows. And we know that this is the lot of someone's life. You speak of your cup, your lot. And David's saying, my cup is full. All my past experiences, even in the midst of lack, even in the midst of peril, my cup is full and it overflows massively because of who Yahweh is. He provides, he protects, and he pours out his love abundantly in this Friends, is true for us today. We can experience the lavishness of Yahweh's care every day. Then he concludes, this idea of of Yahweh's lavish love is brought together for us in verse 6. It says, surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of of the Lord forever. Once again, there's a shift here. In verse 1, he's speaking about a shepherd. And then in verse 2, he speaks directly to this host. But here, he's speaking directly about Yahweh. No more characters, no more imagery, no more pictures for us to, to work through. Not only does Yahweh lead us, Not only does he provide, not only does he protect continuously and consistently, but he's committed to lavishly loving his people for all of eternity. Watch this. The Hebrew word used here for loving kindness is the word chesed. It means a loyal love, and it has the idea of 
of God's faithful love. It's a covenant word, and it's a word that represents his faithfulness to keep his covenant promises. He is faithful to do what he says he will do. And this, friends, for us is the key word in this whole psalm, his loving kindness. It will follow me all the days of my life. He says, surely. And this wasn't a question of surely, surely will. No, this is surely, definitely. It's a declaration. But not only in this life, in the future too. And I want you to see this. Think back to those paths of righteousness. The ultimate destination for all who know Yahweh and who follow him is at the end of verse 6. And you look at it, it says, And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So the word dwell here means to remain, to stay. And David says, I will remain in the house of the Lord forever. Now all of you know the house you're living in right now, you're not going to live there forever. Because forever means forever, right? None of us will. And some look at this text and they say, oh, David's referring to the temple in Jerusalem. But the truth is the temple hadn't even been built. So this couldn't have been what he had in mind. But David here is referring to what's going to happen after this life. And he says, while goodness and loyal love will follow me every day of my whole life while on earth, this true covenantal commitment of my father, ultimately we will get to dwell in his house forever. Turn with me to John 14, verse 2 and 3. Jesus speaking to his disciples, he says, In my Father's house are many dwelling places. There's that same word, to remain, to stay. Dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. And where I am, there you will be also. Friends, there's so much more to this psalm than just meets the eye. This psalm lays for us the foundation of Jesus Christ. And even as we turn back to chapter 10, with everything that we've looked at this morning, and we look at verses 2 through to 4, it says as follows. It says, He who enters by the door is a shepherd, shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. And then verse 11 says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And friends, you and I know this is exactly what he did. He laid down his life for his sheep, for us. He was tortured. He was murdered. He was crucified on the cross for the sake of his sheep, for you and for me. He is no hiling. And because he was resurrected and because of his victory over death, we today can hear his voice calling and we follow him. For those who are, are believers today, we know that his voice to us is in the pages of Scripture 
the paths that we are following are in the pages of Scripture. And as we follow these, He's teaching us, He's renewing us, He's guiding us, He's protecting us through, through it. He provides everything because the Word of God is sufficient in every way. He continues to provide for us consistently. Through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, He empowers us, He enables us, He provides for us. And then through the agency of the elders and the church, we are safe. To ask yourself today, is he your shepherd? Are you one of his sheep? Are you one for whom he laid down his life? If you hear his voice today, believer or unbeliever, if you hear his voice today, friends, don't harden your hearts to him. Follow him. Reach out. The world is a full, scary place. It's full of danger. Everything wants to devour us and destroy us. But with Christ, our soul will be safe, secure, and always refreshed. And we will have an eternal hope that can never be taken away. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for being our good shepherd today. Thank you for providing for us and protecting us, both physically, spiritually, especially in those times and places in our lives that are deep and dark, and for bringing us to your house where we will enjoy your presence forever. Thank you for your righteousness that is ours through Jesus Christ, our good shepherd, who gave himself for us and who gave his life to save ours. For this, we give you honor and glory and thanks. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.